It was through the preaching of George Whitfield that Robert Robinson was saved from a background of, of gross, uh, that was gross and godless. Robinson was in his young 20s. In fact, at the age of 23 in 1758, he was led to God to put into print his testimony, which he wrote down, and we now know today as the hymn and the words, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. How many of you have ever sung that song before? It's a beautiful hymn. Sadly, though, Robinson later would defect. He left the claims of Jesus Christ in the dust and lived a carnal, godless life. As we come to God's word this morning, surrounded by the world, sometimes it's nice to come here on a Sunday and, and escape it just briefly, isn't it? But surrounded by the world, we, we often find it difficult to engage in those, as, as I coined the phrase last week, those off-road areas of Scripture. Because Scripture is calling you and I to live a life that is marked by Christ. As we come to 1 Corinthians, we, we find ourselves uh, reading a letter that's, that's not just from Paul. He addresses it as from Paul the Apostle. It, it comes with authority. And when he addresses it, it's, it's written to not just a church, but a sanctified church, a, a sanctified group of believers. This is not written to an organization. It's not written to a facility, a building. This is written to those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. This is very important as we go through and look at what is written in the letter of 1 Corinthians. It's written near the end of, of Paul's second missionary journey. As he was coming to the end of it, he received some information from Corinth, a church he knew and loved, and, and he sits down to write a letter. He's going to be going to them soon. It was written approximately 54 AD. And remember, all these dates are approximate. But Corinth in this time was a major city, a very prominent city, some that it was over 700,000 people. I know, it makes our little town look like a village. But this was a prominent city, but it was an immoral city. Sin and evil ran rampant in Corinth. Religious prostitution took place. On every corner you could find pagan gods and idols. Worldly sins abounded there. 
Know any places like that? A couple, yeah. You know, it doesn't take much for us to look. You and I live in a world very similar to Corinth, where sin and evil abounds. What a beautiful opportunity for the believer to be a light in such a dark place. And there in Corinth was a church. As Paul pens the words, actually, he has a scribe penning them for him. He'll pen the, the closing. But as he, he relays these words, you, you gather his, his fatherly heart for these people. Oh, his affection and, and his pastoral heart comes out as the words on, in this letter are revealed. There is a burden on his heart. And as you read these words, I, I believe that it echoes the heart of God as well. He's writing to respond to some concerns. They're, they're like, Paul, we have some concerns in these areas. These, these things are going on. There's questions they're asking that he's going to answer. And, and they need some guidance. And, and there's correction that's going to have to occur. As a parent, correction is never the fun thing of parenting. And often the heart is heavy when correction has to occur. And as you read these words of correction on the pages of, of 1 Corinthians, you, you can see that this is a people that he knows. He's not just penning these for, for some church that he's not familiar with. He's very familiar. He loves and cares for these people as a good pastor would. Paul's greeting, and we're going to look at it a little more in depth this morning, but Paul's greeting reveals his heart. It sets a foundation, and his, his closing is, is such an amazing picture of his heart for these people when you see who he's writing to. Look at me in the, with me at the very beginning. He kind of sets a, a tone for the whole letter in these opening verses. You and I are to engage in a certain mindset as we look at his corrections and his guidance. Paul begins in verse 1, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes, our brother. He's the one penning it. He's like, hey Paul, can you say hi to them for me too? He goes on, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in, in every place, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You see that inclusion there? He goes on, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always 
concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. After you read the letter, that's, that's shocking. God is faithful. If you're an underliner, underline those words in your Bible. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I want to read verse 10 from, from the New Living Translation. It says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. That's the way he begins this letter. How many of you, if you just opened the letter and opened that greeting, would have already been encouraged? Three of you. Four? Okay, good. More of you. Good. I, I was encouraged when I read that part, right? I, I read that and I'm like, wow. It, it almost, I mean, if you just closed the book right there, you would be engaged to, or encouraged to just go out and live an amazing Christian life, would you not? There's some things he's going to have to address, though. And he sets the foundation for this letter, and he reminds them of his authority because there's going to be some things he has to deal with with this church. So the authority is there, and, and he clearly defines who they are. I think it's important sometimes for you and I to remember who we are. There are times I have to remind my own children who they are. Remember, who you represent. They're the church. These people were the church. They're sanctified in their standing. As we read these words this morning and, and see this, if you are one who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are the church. In your standing, you are sanctified. I love that he calls them saints. How many in here feels like a saint? Oh, this is, oh good. One of you does. Good. Okay, good. You should, because that's who you are. We need to begin to identify by who we are. We are saints in, by our calling. This is what they should be. This is what you and I should be. Too often I hear the phrase, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, crud 
If you continue to identify as a sinner over and over and over, then guess what you're going to act like? A sinner. And you'll keep leaning on grace and leaning on grace. Poor grace. Man, it's time we start to identify as a saint who has been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Start acting like it. Because in this position, there's power. Oh, there's potential. Can you imagine the potential of a church, a body of believers that identify and and see themselves as sanctified saints? Boy, God could really begin to do something with us, couldn't he? And it comes with God's grace. Some of us, as we read through this letter, it would be, I was talking with Ron this morning, and and what a good illustration it would be just to have a big mirror right here. I said, the problem with that is few would probably look at themselves in the mirror. They'd be looking at others' reflections in the mirror. This book is to be a reflection for us. And he begins with God's grace and peace. He's going to deal with divisions in the church, within the body of Christ, with sin. Sin always sabotages unity. Did you know that? Sin brings about disunity this is a gifted church that he's talking to i mean it could be our church as as he goes and he says you guys are gifted in so many ways i appreciate this morning the giftedness we were able to enjoy as as those within our church family led us in worship the giftedness of those who minister to children the giftedness of those who teach and minister with 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 gifts that no one sees. It's a gifted church. They are blessed by God. And I love the the reiteration, God is faithful. God is doing the work. Keep that in mind. And we're called to unity. You and I are called to unity Do you realize that if you go back to John 17, you will read the prayer of Jesus Christ before he goes to Calvary? And the greatest burden on our Savior's heart is that you and I would get along. That the church in Corinth would get along. That there would be unity. And I love that the unity is not losing our identity. It is harmony. The ones singing up here this morning were in harmony. There was different voices and they came together, different instruments and they came together in harmony. It doesn't eliminate the diversity. Oh my goodness, we want that diversity here. We want different gifts. We want different personalities. Oh, we need different ones. But in harmony, in unity... Over 10 times in the first 10 verses, Paul reiterates Jesus Christ. 
We are the bride of Christ. We are the church of Christ. Consider this if. And here's an if-then statement. Keaton, this is for you. He loves these. He's always listening and looking for these now. If we are his church, if we are his bride, if the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us and we are his sanctuary, if we are God's children, and if we are truly the family of God, then you and I had better believe that, that well, God has something to say about how you and I behave. How you and I represent Him. How you and I reflect the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul expresses that as you read through this letter. Let's look at an overview of 1 Corinthians. There's so much detail in here. We cannot get to all the things Paul deals with. But this is very much so a letter of correction. Paul is correcting some actions. That, that idea of correcting is bringing into conformity with a standard. And we are going to be looking at bringing that conformity in with the standard. God's standard. There is no other standard. Paul is aligning you and I with Jesus Christ. Oh, that we need to be aligned with Him. Paul is, is conforming us to the image of Christ. That when people look at you and I, when they look at His church, they see Christ. Oh, what a beautiful reflection. What a beautiful image. And God is setting forth His standard alone. The charge in, in, in the opening verses is absolutely powerful. And Paul delivers it and, and stresses the oneness and unity. He desires that for this church so much. And it's amazing when the body of Christ is unified, the things that they can go through, the way that they can stand. If God's called us to unity, then as children... His children, we need to understand that our sin, any sin, is going to bring about division. And so Paul begins to look at some sins, at some divisions. In chapters 1 through 4, we, we see multiple divisions that are occurring in this church. Some of those divisions are exalting certain leaders. Church, don't put a leader on a pedestal. Oh my goodness, they, they were going and having these petty arguments. Well, I'm of Paul. Others would say, well, I'm of Apollos. Others really wanting to be, you know, noble and, and pious, they're like, well, I'm of Jesus. Woo! And divisions are occurring here. And Paul's like, you know what? I am really glad that when I was there, I only baptized a few of you and not all of you because you are allowing this to divide the body of Christ. 
Shame on you. Good thing we don't allow ourselves to be divided over, you know, people. Hmm, wait a minute. It's a political year. Ooh, wait a minute. How many of you listen to different podcasts? You're like, ooh, I listen to this guy. I don't listen to him. I listen to this one. Oh, man, well, I just listen to Pastor Jed. <laughs> right? I know. How silly. No, we come and we are unified. And what a blessing that God has gifted his church, that there are those that we can come to and learn God's word from in powerful and intriguing ways that speak into our lives and into the word of God and, and make it come alive. What a blessing. And, and then he addresses the wisdom and, and the foolishness of the cross. They were in a very Greek city, Corinth, and, and they were looking, and really, when you looked at the cross and what Jesus did and how God would send his son to die, I mean, that's just, really? That, that just really didn't make sense to them. And they looked at this, and they, so they, they go and they look to their own wisdom. Have you ever looked to your own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God? Yeah, I do too. And it really messes things up. But they were looking to man's wisdom over God's wisdom. And then they would try something, oh, this really fails bad. They tried to minister in their own wisdom. I'll do this my way instead of how God says. And it was destroying the church. Oh, beware when we try to do things in our own wisdom, our own thoughts instead of the way God thinks. We need to align ourselves. There was immaturity. Divisions over popularity. Divisions over who was doing what. Oh, it's so petty when we're like, well, I do this. Well, I do this in the church. <laughs> well, I, 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 really? Well, I led that person to God. Well, I planted a seed. Well, I watered. Paul is saying, listen, get over your petty, immature differences and be unified. They were very gifted. God had given them some amazing gifts, but they were relying on their gifts instead of the gift giver. Oh, the dangers when we look to our own abilities instead of the one who gives them to us. And then we allow pride to seep in. Sometimes we just open the door wide open for pride. Looking to themselves. Paul expresses some of his concerns, the concerns that they wrote him about. But then he boldly addresses some of the sin, the fornication that's going on in this church. <gasps> Christian sin? Yeah. Your pastor sins? <gasps> yeah. Ask my wife, ask my children. And regrettably, sin is still a battle we battle with. God's given us the ability for victory, but we battle with it. And, and don't think that just because you're saved by grace, 
that God's not going to deal with sin in your life. The letter came with with grace and peace from God. But God's going to deal with sin. He deals with my sin. He'll deal with your sin. There was immorality going on in the church. That has no place. Sin was all around them. They lived in Sin Central. Everywhere they went, around every corner, it was abundant. And then you go and try to minister in your own wisdom, and you think that's going to help? No. And they find themselves embracing sin. That's what happens when we minister in our own wisdom. They embraced it. They're like, oh, it's okay. We'll just call it gossip. Oh, it's okay. We'll just call it, you know, struggling with pride. We won't call it sin. We'll just call it temptation. We need to start calling sin, sin. Incest was occurring. My goodness, there was a son who was now having sexual relations with his mother-in-law. And they're like, oh, this is wonderful, and they're praising this. Paul says, no. That has no place in the body of Christ. You need to discipline. You need to kick them out until there is repentance. We need to deal with sin. Litigations were happening. Oh my goodness, can you imagine a brother and sister in Christ suing each other? Bringing their problems before a public court? Paul says this is not behavior of God's children. Deal with these things. In fact, he says if you have to, For the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ, allow yourself to be wronged. Boy, we don't like verses like that, huh? You're like, Pastor, that's way too off-road right there. Allow myself to be wronged, but Pastor, I deserve... Oh, don't talk about what we deserve. Sexual immorality was occurring. And Paul reminds them, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, look at what he says. Chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know? This was rhetorical, by the way, because he had taught them this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What we do in this body should bring God glory. He begins to deal with some difficulties that they were dealing with. These were the questions that they brought up. And Paul deals with them 
And, and you know, chapters 1 through 6 is, is dealing with the world seeping into the church. Church, we've got to be careful about that. I understand you and I work in the world. You and I go and play in the world. We go and have our neighborhoods in the world. We engage with the world as we should. But don't let them seep in. Don't let the, the ideology, the philosophy of the world seep in. I love how chapter 7 through 15, it's, it's talking about our testimony. And, and we, as the church, are to pour into the world. That's why we are in the world. Not that they seep into us, that we pour into the world the message of Jesus Christ. And we do that through our testimony. And so we're going to talk about our actions and interactions concerning our testimony. And the first one Paul addresses is our marriages. Oh, our marriages. What a beautiful picture God has given us in marriage. The opportunity to be a testimony to the world around us. But he discusses marriage, celibacy, divorce, remarriage. He talks about all of these things. Then he talks about Christian liberty. Everybody's like, oh, I like that one. Oh, Christian liberty. Ooh, let's talk about that more. That sounds fun. And he discusses the food that they eat that's been offered to idols. What you can and can't do. Read about it. He's talking about it in the, in the aspect of being a testimony to a watching world. Being a testimony even to those weaker brothers or sisters in Christ. And he talks about things that we are perfectly capable to do. Some of the things that we should forego doing. Not because we don't have the liberty to do it, but for the sake of our testimony. He, he presents such a beautiful argument and illustrates it well. I, I want you to turn. I want you to see this argument over in chapter 9. Turn the page over to chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Paul says this. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. What a mindset there, huh? To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Do you notice his freedom? But what he is willing to give up for the sake of someone understanding Jesus? He goes on. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without law to the weak. I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Everything Paul does, 
whether he allows himself to be weak even though he doesn't have to, whether he places himself under burdens he doesn't have to carry, it's for the sake of the gospel. Oh, what if we lived our lives? I mean, that is like living off-road, is it not? That's Romans 14 all over. And he's saying, I do this for the sake of winning souls to Jesus Christ. What if you allowed yourself struggles at the workplace in order to win souls for Christ? What if with your neighbors you allowed yourself inconvenience for the sake of winning souls to Christ? What if you got along with a brother or sister in Christ for the purpose of being a testimony and winning souls to Christ. Sounds petty when I put it that way, huh? It talks about their public worship. Do you realize our worship is very public? The way you and I engage with each other is public. I just looked at the clock and darn it. My wife needs time for BBS. All right, we're going to rush through this. We are going to get through this, okay? He talks about their spiritual gifting and how God has given them all these gifts for the work of service. Oh, it's wonderful. And then he goes in and he addresses the Lord's Supper. I want you to get your, your, your communion prepared there. As you are, I want you to consider what communion was. It wasn't these little itty-bitty cups and a little thing that I know does not taste like bread. It was a meal together. But as they were coming together, they were abusing and approaching the Lord's Supper in sin, in division. It was not demonstrating unity. This was a meal they would partake together. But here's the thing. The prominent people, the wealthy people, well, they would get the better juice. They would get the big cup. They would get the really good tasting wafer, right? The bigger wafer. Oh my goodness, you could actually eat that one. And they looked at it, and it was almost acceptable because of, you know, well, they're more prominent, they're, they're, they're important, we're not, we're poor. And Paul is saying, this disgusts me. That you are allowing yourselves to come around the Lord's table and be divided like this. When Christ himself came to the table and offered himself selflessly for his church. In the passage, Paul reminds them of that night. I'd encourage you to take that wafer that we're calling bread. Paul writes this, Lord Jesus, reminding them. The Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, singular. What a reminder for that church. Body, singular, we are coming together as the body of Christ, remembering his body broken. We were to do this in remembrance of that. And he would break it. Some didn't even have bread to break. And they thought this was good. Let's ask a blessing on the bread. Heavenly Father, we come, we pause to remember your son's body broken for us. And God, we do pause and remember and we thank you. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we partake? He would remind them of the cup. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. They were to remember the cost, the very blood of Jesus Christ. Yet some didn't even have the cup to remember. And you wondered why there's disunity Division? We all come to the foot of the cross equal. As those in need of a Savior. Let's ask a blessing on the cup. Oh God, thank you for the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that he would pour out such a gift that all may come. God, we remember the sacrifice this morning. We thank you as we remember, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we partake? There's a difference when we do, when we do, no, when we remember communion together as a body of Christ. Paul goes on and says, you know, if you struggle with the gifts if you struggle understanding why some have some gifts and others have others and you're striving for all these gifts, he goes, if you're struggling with coming to the table, Lord's table and coming together, then let me do this for you. Let me remind you of what love is. And he expresses love in such a powerful way. As you read the verses on love in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a very popular chapter. Some of you could probably quote it. But as you read that, you realize, oh my goodness, this is not dealing with my emotions, with my feelings. There's not one emotion, one feeling there. It deals with action. It is a choice. Love is an action. It is a choice. And when you and I engage believers around us in love, it brings unity. When we engage the world in love, it brings unity. When we 
engage in love. We are unified more with Christ than ever before. Why? Because it is in action. And then he says, remember this. As if they needed to remember one other thing. There's a lot of things he dealt with. He says, the resurrection, which we get to, de- we get to remember and celebrate here in a few weeks. It'll be wonderful. But he says, remember the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. We have a risen Savior. We don't go and minister and engage in in fellowship because one is dead and we're remembering him. No, we are remembering him risen and power and hope is given because of that. And he closes. He closes this letter. You know, as a father, sometimes I don't always discipline well. I have disciplined to try to really bring my kid down low. I wanted, you know, to suppress, right? He doesn't bring the church down low. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. I give up. I have never felt that way as a pastor. Okay, maybe I have. Rather, he goes and he challenges them. He builds them up. In fact, he spurs them on to advance for the cause of the gospel. Look with me. I love this verse. Chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to read 14 too because it's good. Paul says to this church as he's corrected them, be on the alert. Be aware. Open your eyes. Stand firm. Oh, the world's going to push. It's going to push. It's going to push. Oh, wait. Stand firm uh, in the faith. We're not doing it ourselves. We are standing firm in the faith, the very thing we believe in. Act like men. Men, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Hmm. That goes back to that 13th chapter. Robinson had defected. left the faith until one day he stepped into a stagecoach occupied by a woman whose face was buried in a book. It was a book of verse. She did not know him or he her, but she began to read this particular poem and said to him, listen to this. She read the words, Come thou fount of every blessing, To my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. He sat quietly. Surrounded by guilt. And then she got to that last stanza. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He said, stop, stop. 
I am the poor, unhappy man who composed that verse many, many years ago. I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feelings I had then. And he turned around and once again served the Lord. We look at a church like Corinthians. We look at that church and we're like, how? And we look in the mirror and we see that we too are prone to wander. Paul closes. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Oh Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. He extends grace to these people. He extends love. And he wants them to turn around. Remember, love is an action. God loved the world so much, he gave. As you and I love the Lord, are we willing to allow our actions to demonstrate that? Let's pray. God, there may be some here this morning, some listening, that that need to turn. God, you are always extending that grace, that peace, your love. But God, you will discipline too. God, I pray that we we would strive to align ourselves with you, correct those actions, and God, that we would do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you work in our hearts through the words of your writing in Corinthians. May we be bold. May we stand firm. And may we do what we do in love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close.